Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. So are nine Supreme Court justices enough, or do we need to add a few more to get a little balance? That idea taken off among the 2020 Democratic candidates. What do you say, folks? Here we go. Wow. Tuesday, March 19. With lots and lots to talk about here on the Bill Press Show. So good to have you with us. Uh, as we start our morning conversation about the news of the day, what's happening here in Washington, D.C., that's where we start out, uh, as we do every day in our little niche here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building. So we'll first of all look about we'll look at what's happening here in Washington. The president of Brazil in town today will be having a joint news conference with the president down at the White House in the Rose Garden this afternoon. I'll try to make my way down there, tell you all about it tomorrow. Congress, meanwhile, is out. Uh, they all got so drunk on St. Patrick's Day that they decided they had to take the entire week off uh, to recover from it. Isn't it too bad you and I don't have that same privilege at any rate? So we'll take a look at Washington, what's happening around the country, what's happening around the globe. Lots going on. And uh, again, a lot of the focus is on New Zealand, which is responding remarkably and quickly to the uh, so tragic mass murder there at the two uh, mosques uh, last last weekend. Within 72 hours, the government of New Zealand taking dramatic action. Send us your comments on the news of the day as we talk through it, uh, what we're talking about, what we missed, perhaps. Your comments always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show on Twitter at BP Show. Lots to get into, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Yesterday, we talked about the men's NCAA tournament. Well, yesterday was when they announced the women's NCAA Uh basketball tournament uh, seeds. Uh, Baylor, Notre Dame, 
last year's defending champion. Yes. Mississippi State and Louisville all earned number one seeds. Now, congratulations to those four teams, but no. you might notice that there is a, a team that's missing. No Terps. UConn. UConn, yeah. UConn. This is the first. This is an amazing stat. Mm. This is the first time that UConn was not a number one seed since 2006. Well, have they still ever lost a game? Uh, they they lost two games this oh. year, and they are a number two seed, to be clear. Yeah. They're yeah. not a number one seed. They're a number two seed, which is still pretty damn good. Yeah. But they have lost some power since 2006. They'll come back. I think they'll be fine, they'll come to back. be clear. I yeah. think they're going to be yeah. totally fine. But look, Notre Dame won last year. Yeah. Uh, uh, University of South Carolina won the year before that. So you have seen UConn sort of falling off a little bit. They're still a powerhouse, uh, but those are your four seats. Baylor, Notre Dame, Mississippi State, and Louisville. Congratulations uh, to the ladies. Amen, amen. Yes. You know, it's so funny when we talk about the 2020 crowd and who hasn't gotten in yet. One of the names that just won't go away is Bill de Blasio. Oh, God. Come on. He's not going to run. Look, he said whether or not he runs. I don't know. It seems like he's not going to run, and I think it would be a bad idea for him to run. Yeah. But he still went to New Hampshire to try and talk to people, which was not an official campaign event or anything like that. He went to go talk yeah. to New Hampshire to just sort of feel out the crowd, see how they uh, received him. Didn't work so well. How did he do? He had a crowd of 20. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. People. Right. 20 people. <laughs> now... The thing about New Hampshire is there's not a ton of people there anyway, so even a good-numbered crowd is probably in the hundreds. But still, 20 people is embarrassing. Beto, I mean, Beto would have had 10,000. Yeah, right. Yeah, Bernie exactly. would have had 20,000. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is very interesting. We've talked a little bit about universal basic income. Uh, yeah, Andrew Yang is Andrew one of Yang. his uh, big uh, issues that he's pushing. Well, Newark is actually going to be the first American city to roll out a guaranteed income to try and work on the poverty rates in the city. They're calling it an experiment. They want to see how it goes, and they're going to roll it out and just see how it works. I hope it works better than that school plan that Cory Booker and yeah. uh, uh, Jeff Zuckerberg had. This is the Bill Press Show. It is time to get rid of the Electoral College. And more and more Democratic candidates jumping onto that proposition. It is become that and Medicare for all. One of the big issues that Democrats are talking about this year. I love it. Let's do it. Amend the Constitution. Hello, everybody. Here we go that, with that big idea. We start off our Tuesday edition of the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. On this Tuesday, March 19, 2019, the Bill Press Show, that's me. We're coming to you from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, uh, just from uh, just a few steps, and you're right at the Capitol Plaza, the Supreme Court, the Library of Congress, the United States Capitol, and the Bill Press Show. That's Capitol Hill right here, our studio. Uh, And we'll bring you the news of the day from Washington, from around the country, and around the globe, uh, Congress is kind of a quiet town now because Congress is out of town for the entire week. They take a very undeserved St. Patrick's Day vacation rather than staying here and doing our their job. Uh, but at any rate, they're gone. Uh, 
Uh, president is in town and uh, today welcoming the president of Brazil to the White House. And the two of them will hold a joint news conference in the Rose Garden this afternoon, about 1.30, 1.45 East Coast time. Um, I'll try to be down there and report on that tomorrow. We've got lots to talk about and lots you will want to comment on. And we invite your comments, whether you're joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where you can catch the show live, but also catch the podcast after the show. Again, Bill, uh, YouTube slash Bill Press. <laughs> Peter, help me out here. YouTube.com YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Bill Show. Press there you go. Yeah. Uh, so many different e- email addresses. Uh, and we in, in, uh, welcome you, whether you're watching on television, uh, on Free Speech TV, or on the radio, WCPT Chicago, Chicago, big mayor's race out in Chicago with two outstanding candidates. And we are there with you in Chicago and uh, surrounding communities, uh, also statewide on the radio in Indiana, in Indiana Talks. Uh, how about it? New Zealand still showing the way. I mean, I love this. We've, we, we, we say and you know uh, uh, that we're a great country, and we are, no doubt about it. We also, some people brag that we are the greatest country on the planet. You know, as much as I love America, uh, I, I wouldn't brag that much about it as the greatest, as if we could not learn from some things from other countries. There are other countries that do some things better than we do. Healthcare, for one, and gun safety, for another. We can certainly learn a lot from Australia. And now from New Zealand, Australia, which has the toughest gun laws uh, on the planet, um, banning semi-automatic weapons since a big massacre there dozens of years ago. But now New Zealand will probably be the next country to do so. We did for one time for 10 years from 1994 to 2004 and then forgot about it. But within 72 hours of that massacre uh, at the synagogue, at the uh, uh, mosques uh, last weekend, um, the government of New Zealand has agreed upon a tough um, series of measures um, to ban semi-automatic weapons and to ban large-capacity magazines. The details haven't been announced yet, but the Prime Minister yesterday, Jacinda Ardern, Ardern says, we've got them ready. We'll be um, revealing the details very shortly. Our gun laws will change. Cabinet met yesterday and made in-principle decisions 72 hours after the attack. Before we meet again next Monday, these decisions will be announced. Uh, Yes, and meanwhile, again, uh, people, uh, and (laughs) even before, this is amazing, even before the legislation has been introduced, even before the people of New Zealand have seen exactly uh, what's going to um, be entailed in this legislation, uh, how, how tight the restrictions are going to be, whether it's going to be an entire ban or just tighten uh, the uh, requirements for, for purchasing a semi-automatic weapon. The people of New Zealand have responded. We played a clip yesterday from the police commissioner down there who said, hey, we're ready to take your guns now. You don't have to wait for the law to be passed. And yesterday, people started lining up, bringing in their automatic weapons, some of them Hunters, most of them using them for hunting, obviously, uh, and even hunters saying, look, we don't need this gun, and um, after what happened, we don't even want anything to do with it, turn, turning these guns in. Scores of people did so uh, yesterday. Uh, and what a contrast to here in the United States of America, where uh, Donald Trump still, still uh, has not 
condemned white supremacy. In fact, he said in his only comment on it so far that he didn't think it was a real problem because it was just a small group of people, right? Sort of dismissed um, this, this growing tide of white supremacist rhetoric and violent attacks that we've seen in Pittsburgh, in Charlottesville, and now in Christchurch, New Zealand. Donald Trump said, no, no big deal, no big deal. He has not condemned white supremacy. He has also not expressed one word of sympathy for the victims in Christchurch, nor for Muslims around the world who were the targets of this attack. I mean, for Donald Trump, it's just not that important. It's so, so telling, the silence from the White House in response to this massacre, that the chief, this is extraordinary. Think about this. Think about the impact of this, the consequences of this. That the chiefest acting, chief of staff at the White House was forced to go on television on Fox News Sunday and tell the nation that the president of the United States is not a white supremacist. Here's Mick Mulvaney to Chris Wallace. Why not deliver a speech condemning it? You've seen the president stand up for religious liberties, individual liberties. The president is not a white supremacist. I'm not sure how many times we have to say that. Well, if it were anybody other than Donald Trump, you wouldn't have to say it once. That's what that means. People are so convinced that he is sympathetic to, that he either looks the other way or encourages white supremacy, that we wonder. And and we need to hear that, in a sense, from the chief of staff. It's really shocking that he's got to say it. And we know that the gunman in New Zealand with his 72-page manifesto or 400-page, whatever page of his manifesto that he released, said in there that Donald Trump, to him, was a symbol of renewed white supremacy, a renewed white identity. Yeah, that's it. Renewed yeah, white identity. white identity. In other words, he's the guy. He's the guy that's saying the things that they want to hear. And white supremacists in this country have also said the same thing about you know, Donald Trump. It, it, when you hear a lot of the things that white supremacists say, right, they, they, they say things like, <clears throat> you know, uh, we should be proud to be white. And there, you know, there should be a white history month and things like that, right? Which are all very foolish. And Donald and, Trump talks about s hole countries and say we need more people from like Norway. Exactly, exactly. What does that mean? There's a fear among some white people that they are being uh, um, sort of left behind, right? right? And that that might actually be true, especially the white uh, people who don't necessarily get the message. But what, my point is. Donald Trump is enabling that. He is. And, and he's making he's justifying their fears. And after Charlottesville, the white supremacist journal, whatever it is, online, when Donald Trump did not condemn them, you know, that's that was their big thing. They said, he did not condemn us. We marched in Charlottesville. We said the Jews will not replace us, and the president of the United States did not condemn us. For them, that was a huge, huge moment and a huge victory. And they take solace in that, and that message spreads around the world on the Internet today, and it was heard uh, in New Zealand. Uh, so if Donald Trump wasn't talking about New Zealand, and he had, by the way, he had the whole weekend to do it. He didn't have any—there were no events scheduled over the weekend. He went to church Sunday morning. Uh, as we pointed out yesterday, after 
uh, attacking John McCain on online. Uh, so he didn't play golf. He didn't have any meetings. He didn't have any conferences. He didn't give any speeches. He didn't play golf, although it was a good golf weekend. He stayed in the White House and he tweeted. And he tweeted, you ready for this? 50 times over the weekend. Yeah, 50 yeah. times. Yeah. And not. Our boy was busy. Not one tweet about New Zealand. Not one tweet about white supremacy. Not one tweet about gun violence. He tweeted about everything else. It was basically he tweeted about 50, to- 50 topics, 50 times. He tweeted about, again, attacking John McCain as being last in his class in Annapolis, which, by the way, he wasn't. He was close to the bottom, but he wasn't last, uh, about being a traitor to his country. He tweeted out in defense of Gene Pirot, uh, Judge Perot on uh, on Fox News in defense of Tucker Carlson on Fox News. He tweeted out attacking a couple of anchor weekend anchors on Fox News. Uh, he tweeted about um, Saturday Night Live, saying there should be investigation of Saturday Night Live by the F- FEC because they're in collusion with the Democrats, even though, <laughs> did he realize it was a rerun? It was a repeat, yeah. It was a rerun from Christmas. Not even a live show. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it was just absurd. It was the craziest. We've said this before, but this was really it in terms of sheer numbers. The craziest tweet storm yet by Donald Trump, which uh, provoked this comment from uh, our good friend Jeff Tubin on Legal Analyst on CNN. 50 people died in New Zealand exactly. in this horrible terrorist attack. But how does that compare to the tragedy that befell Janine Pirro, who oh. had her show can- put off for one week, which caused an explosion. There were like four tweets just about Janine Pirro. But he didn't tweet against white supremacy, you you will notice. Right, of He didn't course. say. Oh, no, because the most the greatest tragedy facing the country, the greatest crisis facing the country was Janine Pirro being taken off the air uh, for one night. We who, don't know. It may be longer, but so far it's just for one night. Who said something so horrible and yes. so racist who that even Fox News even took Fox her off Even Fox News had to week. take her off the air for suggesting that because Elon Omar wears a jihad, she, uh, you could question her um, loyalty to this country. Yeah. Uh, that, that Janine Pirro, uh, for which and Donald Trump has not condemned that at all. He just keeps praising Janine Pirro and attacking Fox News for taking her off the air. It's getting so bad that some people are even questioning Donald Trump's mental capacity. Uh A chief among them, um, an attorney in Washington by the name of George Conway. So Mr. Conway (laughs) tweeted out the definition of a narcissistic personality disorder. Let me, let me just read a little bit from this uh, definition. This is the official psycholo- psychi- psychiatric association's whatever um, definition of narcissistic personality disorder. A perversive pattern of grandiosity, need for ab- admiration, and lack of empathy, beginning by early childhood and then going into adulthood. Uh, And it was indicated by five or more of the following. One, listen to this, sound familiar? Has a grandiose sense of self-importance, in other words, exaggerates achievements and talents, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, 
power, brilliance, or beauty, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or or should associate with other very special people, requires excessive admiration, has a sense of entitlement. Yikes, man. Bingo. And George Conway, of course, is the husband of Kellyanne Conway, the president's chief, uh, one of his special advisors in the White House. Conway, George Conway, right, says that he believes a serious inquiry needs to be made into the president's mental state. Conway further tweeted out, this is George Conway, Kellyanne's husband, don't assume that the things he says and does are part of a rational plan or strategy because they seldom are. Consider them as a product of his patho- of his pathologies, and they make perfect sense. Boy, that's devastating coming from him. So um, what does Kellyanne say about this? Oh, God, I'm so busy. I haven't had time to talk to George. You know, she had those concerns, and I was getting, I have four kids, and I was getting them out of the house this morning before I got here, so, and talked to the president about substance, so I may not be up to speed on all of them. <laughs> come on. I mean, Wait come a minute. on. Her husband is accusing the man she works for of being mentally unbalanced, calling for a serious inquiry as to whether basically... He's mentally fit to serve as president of the United States, whether he'd be totally cuckoo. And all Kelly and Godway says is, oh, God, I didn't have time to talk to I haven't had a George. chance I had to, to talk to him about it yet. Uh, yes. God, I had to, you know, I did the Cheerios for the kids. <laughs> 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 yeah. Mm. I mean, that's, you, you got to think that they have a better answer for that. Uh, y- y- wouldn't you think? Yeah. You would think. <laughs> you would think. Uh, at any rate, uh, on the Trump wagon, by the way, um, I, I saw this this morning. This is just disgusting. So uh, the Pew Research uh, did a little poll among um, religious groups uh, to talk about their support of the president. By the way, are you surprised to learn that among white evangelicals, 69%. Nice. Support Donald Trump. Yes, the serial adulterer. Uh, some 20 women women have accused him of sexual harassment or assault. Uh, he is the um, target of a sexual assault case that is still moving through the New York Superior Court. He has bragged on video about grabbing women by their genitals and planting kisses on them uh, unwanted, bragged about committing sexual assault, uh, and and paid porn star $130,000 and another woman $150,000 not to talk about affairs that he had with him. And 69% of white evangelicals support Donald Trump. That is wild, man. Yeah. That is Shame wild. on them. They're such phonies. They should all burn in hell for that. I'm sorry. Um, by the way, uh, it's still pretty shocking. Among white Protestants, 48% support Donald Trump. White Catholics, 44% Donald Trump. Not as bad as the white evangelicals, but still. Yeah, still pretty Pretty bad. disgusting. You know what it is? They'll look the other way because Donald Trump will pretend to be, and by the way, he is totally phony on this issue. 
He will pretend to be anti-abortion. He's pretending to be that because he knows that's the only thing they care about. And for that, for Donald Trump saying he'll appoint judges who will vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, despite all of his past, that's all they care about. They don't care about Donald Trump's personal life. They don't care about uh, <laughs> whether he's ever read the Bible or the New Testament or anything at all. Um, somewhat comforting among black Protestants, by the way, 12% support Donald Trump, which is still too high. Um, but I thought that was uh, interesting uh, and leads us into uh, the latest on the 2020 front. It was Elizabeth Warren's turn in front of uh, a town hall down in uh, good choice of places, I thought. Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Jake Tapper from CNN. Uh, this is the CNN town hall. Jake Tapper uh, was a host and uh, had a big crowd down there. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, among other things, uh, first of all, she was talking last night about, um, she covered a lot of issues. She, I mean, she is a policy wonk, and she talked about a lot of big ideas last night. Uh, she talked about the Green New Deal, saying, damn right, climate change is important, is serious, and we've got to deal with it, and this is one set of ideas to do so. We need to be thinking about infrastructure in terms of hardening our infrastructure against the climate change that's coming our way and in terms of building green energy infrastructure. Yes, green. And, and it's, so they're all talking about, yes, moving into a fossil fuel economy and the jobs that would be created, millions of jobs, by going into renewed energy with solar and wind uh, and reconvert and, and, um, and doing all kinds of reconstruction on houses to make them energy efficient. Uh, so that's the, she, like Ocasio, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Senator Ed Markey, others supporting the Green New Deal, keep emphasizing the job side of it. Side of it. One other, or the idea that got the most applause last night was interesting, and it is one of two big ideas that more and more of the Democratic candidates are talking about. Um, and this one, well, let's let's hear it from Elizabeth Warren first. Uh, last night, and she got a, a resounding and a long-lasting standing ovation from the crowd last night on this issue. You know, come a general election, presidential candidates don't come to places like Mississippi. Yeah. They also come to places like California and Massachusetts, right? Because we're not the battleground states. Well, my view is that every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen. <laughs> is that we can have national voting. And that means get rid of the electoral college. Absolutely. I think that is so important. Hell and yeah. again, it's been echoed, or maybe she's echoing, uh, some of the other Democratic candidates and more and more who are talking about this. Uh, uh, first of all, it, it, look, it's a total anachronism. It makes no sense at all. And if uh, Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump didn't prove anything, it proves that the Electoral College does not represent the will of the people. We have had two presidents, pardon me, in this young century already, Donald Trump and George Bush made president because they won the Electoral College and lost the popular vote. And with George Bush, it might not have been that much, 
that many. We will never know because they didn't count the votes in Florida. But we know with Hillary Clinton, it was at least three million votes. She got three million more votes than Donald Trump in any other. Look, I'm not, you know, revisiting 2016 other than to state the fact in any other country on the planet, Hillary Clinton would be president of the United States today. But with this stupid electoral college we have, the will of the people is thwarted. The will of the people does not count, does not carry the day in our electoral system. So I think that's a great idea, a democratic idea with a small d, You know, uh, and that we all ought to get behind it. Good for her she, pushing it. Elizabeth Warren <laughs> has probably the best ability of any politician in America to take a big idea mm-hmm. and explain it in a way that makes perfect sense. And boil it down. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I think of, you know, a lot of my friends that I've talked to, they have seen in South Carolina, who still live in South Carolina, they've seen a lot of the Democratic candidates because they have to come to South Carolina for the primary. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the primary is over, they never come back. <laughs> right. And it's like she said, you're in Mississippi. Democratic politicians aren't going to come here. No, no. Like, they're just not. And yeah. the same thing with, with Republican and, politicians in places like Massachusetts. And, by the way, and they says. don't go to California. They don't go to California. You know, they spend their time in the battleground states, right? right? Like, right. you know, Michigan, Ohio, or Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, Hillary Clinton. I was going to say, exactly. but, but, but that's usually yeah. where they go. And, like, right. no wonder these places consistently vote for Republicans because they never see a strong Democrat show up in their state. And make the case. Yeah. So I think this is a great idea. I would hope it'd be part of the Democratic platform. Uh, I do want to point out, I mentioned uh, the loss over the weekend of uh, uh, the great uh, Senator Birch Bayh from uh, Indiana. Uh, This was his idea way back in the 70s. He introduced a a constitutional amendment uh, to get rid of the Electoral College, a man who in many ways was far ahead of his time, also the author of the great uh, Title IX. So that's one of the two big ideas, uh, which I really like. The other one, and um, that I, I don't know that Elizabeth Warren is on top of this. Yeah, yes, she is actually. She said that she would she would be for this. So it has Kamala Harris, and Kirsten Gillibrand, and Beto O'Rourke, and Pete Buttigieg have all come out for expanding the number of justices on the Supreme Court. Uh, based on what happened with uh, Neil Gorsuch. Uh, and uh, Mitch McConnell sitting, sitting, and n- never letting Merrick Garland get a get a hearing, or let alone a vote. Um, so they're saying, you know, the one way to g- get around that would be to have more justice, more than just nine on the Supreme Court. Um, I got to tell you, I'm not sure about that one. Here's my concern about that. Yeah, we might enjoy having more than nine. And the opportunity to appoint more than nine or more to help make up a 12 or 15 member Supreme Court. But, you know, there'll be another Republican president someday. And I don't want to give another Republican president like another Donald Trump or even another George Bush uh, more vacancies on the Supreme Court to fill. I'm not on board for that one yet. You can you can tell me if I'm wrong. Send your comments on Twitter at BP show. But I think we're putting up a poll one, right now at BP Show, so you can go vote okay. and, and and comment on it, and we. We'll, we'll see what I mean? On. I think that one could come back and bite us in the ass, right? 
I, look, I, 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 I don't hate the idea. I don't love the idea. I think it's interesting. And if someone can make the case as to why it wouldn't be a problem for Democrats when Republicans could, could get power, I'd listen to it. I think more importantly, it should be these people don't get lifetime appointments. I, I That's, yeah, there you go. I'm for that. I'm, I'm for 100% that. for that. Right. Absolutely. Like I'm sold. If you're if you're a 2020 candidate and that's one of your positions, great. I'm on board. Right. I think you got to really take a look at that. It sort of reminds me of what we talked about. Some of the Republicans were making this case with this latest emergency declaration. Okay, if they let Donald Trump get away with doing an emergency declaration to build his pet project, then some Republicans made this point. I think they're absolutely right. In the future. A Democratic president could do an emergency declaration for his or her pet project, like maybe climate change or like maybe gun safety or something, right? So you got to think this thing through. I think the Supreme Court has got to has a, has to have a little more analysis before I'm ready to sign on to it. And, and also, uh, for all of the talk that Republicans have made about activist judges over the years. They are the ones appointing and working on and, and putting activist judges into high positions of power. I mean, right. you bet. Neil Gorsuch, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, they are two activist judges. So let's say we expand the court to 12, right, or 15. Yeah. That means you make more slots for some of those conservative activist judges that Mitch McConnell has packed and Donald Trump have packed the court with to get on the Supreme Court. Slow down, I think, on that issue. Uh, slow down. Uh, just, just, uh, just a tad here. Uh, meanwhile, yesterday, uh, Sunday was St. Patrick's Day. Yesterday was what do I call it? Greek Independence Day? Is it? It was Greek Independence Day. Greek Independence Day, and so uh, they had a little Greek Independence Day celebration at the White House. Um, and Donald Trump, uh, in his own classic fashion, had to say something about the Greek people as he sees them through your grit and your drive and your will to succeed. You are very, very competitive people. I can tell you that. You don't ever quit. You don't ever give up. That's what we want. Ah, there it is. Well, I have to say that's not as bad uh, as the... uh, (laughs) uh, That's not as bad as the comments that uh, Donald Trump made about the Irish uh, the night before. I know many Irish people, and they are inspiring. They're sharp, they're smart, they're great, and they are brutal enemies, right? So you have to keep them as your friend. Always keep them as your friend. You don't want to fight with the Irish. It's too tough. Too, it's too bloody. Jeez. Watch out for the Greek and the Irish, apparently. Uh, apparently, yeah. Watch out for having Donald Trump salute any nationality, right? The people of any country. He's got his own little picture, right, of who they all are, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, we say the most important uh, uh, item and the most important issue to last. Uh, I'm sure all of you were celebrating yesterday because yesterday was the launch of the Be Best campaign by First Lady Melania Trump. Dude. Uh, they had a big, conf- a big celebration at the White House where the First Lady, um, Peter, you said that, Elizabeth Warren was the best in distilling (laughs) a big idea into something we could all get behind and we could all understand. No. Elizabeth Warren fades 
in significance and in abilities compared to the First Lady of the United States, telling us now what her Be Best campaign is all about. The three pillars of Be Best, well-being, online safety, and opioid abuse. Um, uh, the three pillars. <laughs> what is she talking about? <laughs> Can we hear that again? All right. Yeah, I want yeah you to of get course. Now, no, I can't hear out. it enough. I want you to go out and be best today, and here's what that means. The three pillars of Be Best, well-being, online safety, and opioid abuse. I, I don't. Bring back Laura Trump. I, don't. I mean, Laura, I'm sorry, Laura Bush. Bring yeah. back Laura Bush. Bring what? back Michelle Obama, please. What is she talking Bring about? back Barbara Bush, right? Bring back Hillary. I mean, anybody. Come on. This, yeah, I can't. I don't, under, I, I don't get it I'm lost. at all. So uh, there we go. All right. Be, Be your best, best, folks. Be best. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, hey, didn't tell you the lineup today. Great lineup. Daniel Strauss starts off from Politico. Then Justin Sink, Bloomberg News, covers the White House. will be along at the top of the next hour. Kate Martell from The Hill uh, rounding the day out. But let's uh, take a quick break and then say hello to Daniel Strauss from uh, Politico with his take. By the way, he's been uh, taking a look at uh, Beto O'Rourke, close look at Beto O'Rourke, who is setting the country on fire. We'll find out if he is for real coming up next. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, March 19, uh, welcome, welcome to the Bill Press Show here, live from our nation's capital, joining you everywhere in this great land of ours on the radio, on television, and online. Uh, And uh, welcoming to the studio... From Politico, uh, covering, uh, for the most part, the 2020 candidates, a whole variety of them. Our good friend Daniel Strauss. Daniel's good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. And uh, we have a little bit of breaking news here. Our our friend uh, Aswin Subsang, uh, you've seen from uh, uh, Daily Beast. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's tweeting this morning, sources with direct knowledge tell me that the Mueller report is expected to be sent to G- DOJ sometime between this afternoon wow and when the sun eventually forms into a red dwarf and engulfs the planet in its entirety <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that's, that's, that's a classic that's exclusive uh, uh, exclusive as wouldn't subside i have a feeling his reporting is solid here yeah. <laughs> okay, right. yeah yeah good point so we can all retweet that and feel good about it yeah, right now we go. know when the Mueller report's coming out i mean he's not wrong <laughs> Daniel, before you got here, we've been uh, kind of, you know, just taking a quick look at all the big stories of the day with some comments from our viewers and listeners. Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, Let's just first of all put out there, we have a poll up. Do you think the Supreme Court should increase the number of justices on the bench? Oh uh, uh, yeah, you can you could vote. You could vote. There's a poll up. Is, yes, <laughs> no, or undecided. This as is of, a poll to show how you disagree with Bill Press. Right. Fifty-two percent <laughs> of you say yes. Thirty-six hmm. percent of you say no. Twelve percent of you say undecided. So, as expected, 
There are some comments on this. Michael says, Bill, you are 100% wrong. Hmm. If we have any hope of implementing a bold plan to address runaway climate change, we must balance out the court with as many far-left additions as possible. But that assumes you're going to get (laughs) uh, the the opportunity to put them on there. Uh, What if Trump wins? Luna says, combining packing the court now with max 20-year terms would limit the effects of any future president on the court, so that could address your fear about a Republican uh, Mm -hmm. president. Uh, I like the term limits on the court. I do too. And JRL on Twitter says, expansion will never happen. It will be declared unconstitutional five to four by the current Supreme Court. Yeah, that's that's also uh, something to factor in when you talk about this. And on the... By the way, I've got to double check. Daniel, maybe you know. I don't know that the Constitution says only nine. It doesn't. Uh, It It does does not. not. It definitely does not. Yeah. So So, how could it be declared on... If well, you did I mean, it, you look at these judges who, you know. I mean, FDR tried it, right, sure. and was shut down by the Congress, I believe, for trying to pack it to get people who would implement the New Deal. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And <laughs> well, just one other quick comment from Holly Tooker, our friend Holly. Uh, she says, in every other country, there is no popular vote. They just call it the vote on <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth Warren talking about getting rid of uh, the Electoral, the electoral college. college. Find us on Twitter. At BP Show, at BP Show. Okay. Uh, Daniel, on what do you think about the Supreme Court? Uh, as an institution? No, about oh. uh, expanding the number of... Look, it's something that seems Democratic to Democratic candidates be... are talking about a yeah, lot of them are. Um, uh, it's a favorite line of uh, uh, South, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think it is... I think it is a galvanizing line because within the Democratic Party, there is a lot of gloom and pessimism about uh, if they will ever feel satisfied or happy about the Supreme Court. The yeah. uh, the conservative justices are on the court are comparatively younger and healthier, and uh, liberals constantly uh, hold their breath in fear anytime uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg gets a cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. This is a hopeful proposal. It, it it is one sort of far flung out of desperation, I think, um, but it is something that uh, what I've seen at least uh, Democrats really want to pay attention to and really want to believe is possible in the next few years. It's there's no doubt that it's a great applause line right now, right? right. It's a good red meat line, if you will. Uh, I I'm I wonder whether enough thought has been given to the long-term consequences of it and that it may be people that spend you a mean more, more justice I, I, yeah yeah and giving republicans giving some future republican president right. more seats that he can fill with extreme conservatives right yeah they're not always going to be seats that a democratic president is going to fill right so uh i'm just curious but the other big idea that people are throwing out and last night at her town hall let's hear it again peter elizabeth warren uh got on that she's hardly the only one uh, uh, so it's Supreme Court is one big idea that's out there. Another is the Electoral College. Here she is. You know, come a general election, presidential candidates don't come to places like Mississippi. She's in yeah. Jackson, Mississippi. They also don't come to places her, like California and Massachusetts, right? <laughs> Suddenly because a we're not the battleground states. Well, my view is that every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen (laughs) 
is that we can have national voting, and that means get rid of the electoral college and So that's another idea, I think, that Pete Buttigieg and Beto and others are are echoing. Yeah. I mean, look, it's that that is an older proposal that has been around for a while. I think I remember reading old columns by Hendrik Hertzberg at The New Yorker talking about or blog posts talking about uh, his interest in his advocacy for abolishing the electoral You're right. College. He was. I pointed out earlier, Senator Birch Bayh, who died this weekend, 91, he introduced that constitutional yeah. amendment back in the 70s. Yeah, I was actually reading Bai's by or uh, reading our obit on Bai. That guy was like a, 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 would today would still be regarded as a very progressive senator uh, from Indiana or anywhere, really. Oh no, absolutely a giant, yeah, a real giant. Oh. Um, uh, but uh, uh, look, I, I I think these are what what you're seeing overall is a strong interest in by Democrats in overhauling major parts of the political system because they are. They have the short end of the stick right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, as Senator Warren used to say, uh, the system is rigged against them. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, on the 2020 campaign, you started your first assignment, Sherrod Brown. Yes. Uh, disappointed a lot of us. What happened? Uh, he says publicly that he realized he just not he did not have uh, a strong interest in running. Um, I think... He, or, he had a, did not himself, or he didn't. He didn't want to be president. That's what he's been saying lately. That like he realized he really? thought about it, and huh. just he realized that he just didn't really want to do it. Um, which is why he announced that he wasn't running for president. Right. Or is it that he did not get the support that he was hoping he would get in his little listening tour? I mean, uh, look, the the crowds grew <coughs> throughout the listening tour. They were not huge, um, uh-huh. and. I think what was clear to Brown uh, was that he would be in a big primary and it would be a hard-fought fight. I think that's what's apparent to a lot of Democrats right now, which is that they are not thrilled about party infighting. Um, many of the senators come from the same class right. running for right. president. Yeah. Um, and they have for years enjoyed Republican Party and fighting, and now they face the idea that they have to do it. Um, and I don't think, you know, Brown is very popular among his colleagues on the Hill. I once yeah. I asked a chief of staff a little while ago who his friends are, and the chief of staff said, look, he's friends with everyone. Who isn't his friend? So I don't think he, he really liked that idea. And third, he, he would have to battle uh, perceptions that he was a moderate, quote unquote, because uh, Brown's big progressive bona fides, uh, gay marriage, the Iraq War, are largely settled by the American electorate. Those mm-hmm. are battles mm-hmm. of the past. And mm-hmm. where he's a bit uh, more moderate, things like Medicare for All are the front lines of the party right, right. now. So who fills the slot, the space, or the lane, or whatever that he uh, might have You mean filled? at polling at like 2% or 1%? <laughs> Um, I mean, is it an Amy, Amy Klobuchar? Is it a Joe Biden? You know, uh, I mean, uh, so so uh, I think one what I could discern is that Brown inhabited both sort of the lane of or or he attracted some of the voters who would who were drawn to um, Joe Biden, but also voters who are drawn to Elizabeth Warren. Um, he really attracted uh, voters who wanted someone new, but also with 
serious credibility and not sort of a wild card. What I heard um, and used to joke about in, in early in the shared Brown campaign was that he was Bernie Sanders, but not such a big grouch. I think that is accurate. <laughs> Although, uh, yeah. Although he's not as pro- liberal or, or progressive as Bernie. He, he's not a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 I, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, Even no. for Medicare for all, I think. No, he, right. Um, he's uh, not single payer, right? No. And he supported I, Hillary over Bernie in 2016. He did. Uh, and I, and one of the big, the big reasons that uh, Sherrod took a look at this, Senator Brown, sorry, uh, was because <laughs> as he went through the vetting process to be VP, he, the idea started to settle at him, maybe he yeah. could do this. Right. Um, and since then, they had been considering that. Um, although they were very mum about it during his reelection fight, uh, right? Um, and a lot of Democrats saw here we are a progressive, solid from Ohio. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, what, the, one of the interesting things about that is so, that there is a strong fear throughout his listening tour that if he ran, uh, Democrats would lose uh, the yeah. Senate seat, which is I I continue to think a little nutso mm-hmm. and a little too far, uh, far thought out because if he ran and lost, he would still be. A senator recently reelected to another six-year term, and if he right. won, he would be a Democratic president. Uh, but you know, one of my colleagues actually pointed out that's true. But if he won, you could also have the counterfactual where another Democrat would have won, and you would still have uh, dem- the right. seat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think he was not as. Uh, he was not as well known as some of the other candidates, but he was sort of a dark horse that the Trump admin, the Trump reelection campaign had been eyeing just in case. Right. So uh, I want to ask you about your story yesterday, um, which essentially the headline is uh, he's for real talking about Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. Um, if you look at the fundraising numbers, he certainly is for real. Um, if you look about his policy positions, such as they're known. A lot. Some people I find, or I, people I talk to, are asking, "Is he really for for real? What does he stand for?" You know, um, why do you say Beto's for real? Uh, I say Beto's for real because he raised six point one million dollars in twenty four hours, that's and a good, that's a good indication, right? And uh, he is drawing big crowds. These are two indicators that I think are important to pay attention to. They are not all of them, but he's doing that without unveiling. Uh, really serious detailed policy platforms right now. Uh, and we, we have to look back to his positions when he ran for Senate, although I think those will change somewhat. Um, look, he's uh, the data suggests right now he is a serious candidate um, by all of the metrics that we have. But we st- you're right. We still don't really know who Beto is. We don't know. We, we I, I think... It, we don't have a knee-jerk feel or a, a guess for what he would do or think in certain if, if you look at so many metrics, and, and again, it could be totally wrong, but the classic political metrics that you might look at, does he have a campaign manager? Does he have a campaign staff? Does he have an oper- you know, uh, a, a those whole are, operation? Yeah. Does he have policy statements? <laughs> does he, right? None of that exists. No, but and it's, now maybe, it's March 2019, too. Like, Obama got in a little bit later, I believe, mm-hmm. or right about now. I Look, I, I don't think... And Bernie didn't... Re, I mean, Bernie's campaign manager in 2016 was 
a was his buddy who ran a comic, comic book, book store. St- right. Store. Right. Like I would. I, I do think there is something to take away from staffing, says the person who writes a staff roundup uh, every two weeks. But I don't think that is the be-all, end-all. Right. And we could be seeing a, a totally different kind of politics right. here. I right. mean, I've, I'm willing to admit that's right. It's just by our standard metrics, again, you would say that he's going to flame out soon because all he's got is the skateboard and his uh, Right. Charisma. I mean, he, right. But it, and it's true. Maybe and that's and all someone, the, I think the most cautionary tale from the past few years is Jeb Bush, who at this stage in the 2016 presidential campaign had all the metrics going for him. Absolutely. He, he had all the best consultants, as he said. He had right. tons of money in his super PAC. Right. He had uh, high name recognition and he was polling near the uh, or at the front of the field and then he sank like a lead balloon uh, so I, I just don't uh, I, I, we've got a long way to go mm-hmm. right um, will uh, uh, Joe Biden sort of um, do, you, do you believe kind of overshadow Beto once he gets in I mean that's a good question um, I don't uh, um, I don't know we'll see look I, I think I'm a little more skeptical than most people about Biden and whether he will just uh, uh, just clean out the field, partially because he the prospect of him running hasn't scared away too many candidates. Uh, <laughs> I'll say there's right like sixteen, right? Right. Um, you know, the only uh, you know there was Garcetti and Brown who were looking at it and decided not to, and they sort of inhabited uh, a similar lane to Biden, but for the most part. They haven't, and that I think is telling. Again, like uh, in sixteen or even twelve, um, I, I think when when candidates are not scared away, it shows a, a, a vulnerability. Um, uh, and uh, beyond that, I, I we have to remember the thing about uh, the former President Biden is that he ran twice, and he never. Not only did he not win, he did not build a big movement, and he th- there was never like a Biden infrastructure. That's been in place in in the same way that even there's been a lasting Howard Dean sort of set of organizations and right, right. Uh, a footprint. Um, yeah. So we'll see how he does. I, I get a lot of pushback when I lay this out that it is his time. It, but um, and it's true that the the hangover from the Obama years among Democrats is strong. And I think a lot of Democratic voters just want someone who sings the same tune as by as uh, Obama and you know, has that sort that same association, but Biden will be his own candidate if he runs, and it certainly looks like he is going right. to run. Daniel Strauss with us, uh, political reporter for Politico. It's politico.com. Um, we have seen um, more and more candidates going earlier than they used to, I guess, uh, to South Carolina. Yep. Uh, and, which gets to another uh, thing that you, you and your colleagues have been reporting on lately is um, extraordinary outreach to the African American community. Um, uh, maybe again something where Bernie failed uh, in 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 twenty sixteen, but he's not the only one who sees the importance of the black vote this time around. What are they doing to get it? Look, I mean, it's not just South Carolina. The it's not a coincidence <laughs> that Elizabeth Warren was in Mississippi yesterday, yeah. or Tennessee, or or going to Alabama, where a lot of these candidates have. And it's it's a reflection right now that um, the the Demo- that these candidates are aware. They they look at races like 
the ones in Georgia or Alabama where African-American turnout was key to the overall margin for the Democratic candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's becoming apparent, I think, to the Democratic Party overall is that they are a party increasingly dependent on minority voters. Um, and at least for energy and enthusiasm, those will ma- they will make the difference. The- and in a divided field, the obvious uh, early states to travel to are just not enough. You have to shore up votes everywhere. Does that give an advantage to a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker? Because they're black? Maybe. Um, but also, I mean, um, uh, there's a lot there's a lot of ink that that's been spilt that Joe Biden has strong ties to the African-American community in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see if that if the uh, uh, it's interesting if the Obama aura, if you will, helps Joe, you know, in that community, although a lot of the Obama staffers are encouraging Beto to run. Right. So you got it. Uh, fascinating time for you to be out there on the hustings. Uh, Daniel Strauss from Politico. Again, it's politico.com. Thanks, Daniel, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Down at the White House, what's going on? Uh, Justin Sink will bring us up to date from Bloomberg News this coming up next. Is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, here's an idea. More and more people are jumping on. Let's get rid of the Electoral College. Elizabeth Warren making that point last night and uh, getting a huge standing ovation. And several other Democratic candidates in 2020 are making the same point. Um, I love it. Hello, everybody. It's Tuesday, March 19. Uh, this is the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. And thank you for joining us as we boom out to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Uh, pretty quiet in D.C. these days because um, uh, members of Congress had such a hangover uh, after uh, St. Patrick's Day that they had to take the week off uh, to recover. Uh, but the president, uh, active down at the White House today, welcoming the president of Brazil to the White House. So we'll bring up to date on news from Washington, around the country, and around the globe uh, with the help of our good friend who covers the White House for Bloomberg News, Justin Sink. Hello, Justin. You're looking good. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for coming in. Congratulations. Just learned about your engagement. Right? So <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. We, the Bill Press Show will be there broadcasting live. From, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, wherever the ceremony is. Yeah, Bill is going to DJ the uh, reception. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we need, uh, Hopefully his rates are low. <laughs> <laughs> MTV, yeah. my time is valuable. Uh, right, Bill? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we got lots and lots to, to catch up on. Um, I don't know. I haven't checked whether the president is tweeting this morning, but he certainly tweeted up a storm over the weekend. 
so all of that coming up and your comments, welcome. And we invite your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Join the fun. Send us your comments on the news of the day. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, I don't drink Starbucks, uh, but a lot of people do. And they use this sort of loyalty program that they have there. Well, yesterday, Starbucks rolled out a brand new loyalty program. They announced it. It's going to start on April 16th. It's a Starbucks Rewards loyalty program. It's getting a total makeover. Basically, what they're doing is they're allowing people to earn stars or reward points, Uh however you want to look at it, faster and to use those points sooner. So you used to sort of work up to different little milestones as you could spend those uh, stars or loyalty points. Frequent flyer programs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they've set different tiers. So there are some <laughs> lower tiers. So if you spend like 13 bucks, you then earn a an extra espresso shot or a dairy substitute free of charge. Little things like that, which that used to be bigger uh, uh, milestones you had to reach before they gave you the free stuff. They're also saying that you could buy packaged coffee there, which they didn't used to let people do. If you promise to vote for Howard Schultz, do you get any special points? <laughs> you automatically get a thousand stars on your account. Uh, while we're talking breakfast food, uh, th- this has been going on for as long as I've been alive. Are eggs good for you, oh. or are eggs bad for you? What do you think? I, I well, <laughs> I hate to give you the political answer. I mean, I think within reason, you know, they're good for you. Yeah. All right. Well, there is a new but study that says I wouldn't have eggs them three times a day. No, there is a new study that says people who eat one and a half eggs a day. Oh, here we go. Have a slightly higher risk of heart disease than Uh-oh. the people who ate no eggs. The study showed that the more <laughs> eggs you eat, the greater the risk of heart disease. The chances of dying early were also elevated. So this is. Yeah. Are eggs okay? Should you eat just egg whites? But the answer is nobody knows. Nobody, yeah. Nobody say, knows. That doesn't really answer the question. No, it, it really doesn't. It, it really doesn't. And my gosh, how about Nebraska? Nebraska is facing some serious flooding, record-breaking flooding. Uh, 74 different Nebraska cities have cited emergency declarations uh, amid these floods. Four people have been killed. Hundreds (laughs) of people have been displaced. In fact, Mike Pence today is going to Nebraska to tour the uh, devastation there. Is that a result of that cyclone? Part of it is the cyclone, and part of it is, you know, when they get a lot of snow, eventually that snow thaws. And when that snow thaws, then you get the flooding like this. This is a thing that a lot of Midwest uh, states deal with. Right. This is the Bill Press Show. And uh, we have uh, just experienced the greatest presidential tweet storm in presidential history. 50 tweets by Donald Trump over the weekend. We'll see how many he rolls out today. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show. Tuesday, March 19, we're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, welcoming uh, to the studio, welcoming all of you from all around the country, coast to coast, and welcoming here in the studio, Justin Sink, 
covers the White House for Bloomberg News. Hello, Justin. Good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so it was a it was a wild weekend. I mean, we've we've seen before. We've mm-hmm. never seen tweets like this, but um, this weekend, which was a pretty nice weather here in Washington D.C. Yes, uh, the president stayed in. <laughs> Right, except, except for a, a brief uh, trip across the park to across church, the park to for church a on St. Patrick's Day service, a Sunday morning, and um, didn't go out and play golf, and tweeted up a storm on like fifty tweets on like fifty different subjects. Yeah, so uh, you know, obviously, I think that raised a lot of eyebrows within the press corps and and within the White House itself. So talking to people over the last few days, I think there's some competing theories for why the president was uh, so engaged yeah. <laughs> maybe on Twitter um, one of which was <laughs> that you know President Trump had to be here in DC for a family matter that the White House hasn't really um, explained beyond that but because of that wasn't kind of able to do his normal weekend activities which is to go golf or yeah. uh, go out for dinner with friends that <laughs> sort of thing and so he's spent a lot of time I think watching TV obviously and and going through Twitter Uh there's also the fact that there's these other two uh, things that are sort of grabbing attention or certainly on the president's mind. One is uh, the expectation that the Mueller report could come out any day now. I think obviously it's a refrain that we've heard more and more uh, of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Uh, but it's something that um, that I think Washington is really anticipating and could be coming soon. And so that may be weighing on the president's mind as well, even though he mm-hmm. – could be guessing just as much as we are. Uh, and the second is, obviously, I think a lot of attention over the weekend was not on President Trump, but on the Democratic field. You had Joe Biden really stoking speculation that he's going to jump into the race, and you had Beto O'Rourke, who had um, the kind of campaign rollout and coverage mm-hmm. that, that Donald Trump himself was used to. MSNBC, for two or three straight days, was just, you know, Vaughn Hilliard <laughs> running from coffee shop to coffee shop after Beto O'Rourke. And it was the sort of thing that, that Donald Trump's used to. It was, it was just a complete dominance of the political conversation. And so my suspicion is, and I'm talking to people, I think that those things could have played into the fact that he just kind of was really active on Twitter and looked to be stoking controversy. He went after topics like Senator John McCain that he knows have sort of garnered a lot of attention in, in mm-hmm. the past by being so controversial. Right. Um, and he just, it, it, it was almost like they were personal um, crusades of his that, that he can't let go of. You know, the Trump, the John McCain thing goes way back to 2016. It's like he's still running against him almost, right? And, yeah. And he's been dead for seven months, right? And, but he can't let go of that. It was a lot of sort of personal Saturday grievances. Night Live. Exactly, which was a rerun this week. <laughs> right. Uh, and calling for an investigation of the FEC, whether they're in collusion with the Democrats, you know. Uh, and uh, and then the Fox News. Yeah, he was, he was angry with Fox executives, not only for what CNN has reported as a suspension of Janine Pirro, Pirro. who... who uh, had controversial comments about uh, a Muslim congresswoman just a week ago. Tucker Carlson's obviously been under fire for some comments he made on a radio show about mm-hmm. a decade ago that have been unearthed. And then uh, the president also sort of expressed frustration with the the more straight news anchors that he likely was watching over the weekend. In and, the middle of the day, yeah, right, exactly. as opposed to the prime 
to the prime time people. One thing uh, Jeff Tubin of um, CNN uh, pointed out, uh, he's talking here with Gloria Borger, that there's one thing that was pretty noticeably absent from the president's suite. You mentioned there were two things going on in the United States. There was also something going on in another part of the world that he never talked about. Here, here first of Jeff Tubin, then get your comment. Fifty people died in New Zealand exactly. in this horrible terrorist attack. But how does that compare to the tragedy that befell Janine Pirro, who had her show <laughs> put off for one week, which caused an explosion? There were like four tweets just about Janine Pirro. But he didn't tweet against white supremacy, you, you will notice. Right, of He course. didn't say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Noticeably. I, I, I think the New Zealand shooting is obviously a, a difficult one for Donald Trump to sort of wade into for a number of reasons. One, of course, is that the shooter specifically cited, you know, Trump himself. Mm -hmm. uh, another is that he was an avowed um, white supremacist, and that is an area where Donald Trump has had a lot of trouble sort of speaking uh, with authority and moral clarity. And then the third is, you know, Prime Minister Arden of, of New Zealand has um, not only sort of emerged from this with I think wide applause on the on the global scale and and domestically, and this um, was a real uh, moment of leadership for her and and a true test and and one that came at a kind of crucial point of her um, uh, leadership of the country. But on top of that, when he reached out to her, she said, "You know, if you want to be helpful, you need to sort of vocally denounce the mm -hmm. things that you have not vocally denounced in the past," which is not. I think a typical way that a world leader responds to an offer of, of help, but she recognized that politically yeah. it would it would be better for her to seem um, to be holding a, a sort of harder line against Donald Trump. She basically said that you should uh, support and uh, express support and identity for Muslims around the world, yeah. uh, which he has not done, uh, did not do, it, and it got to the point where um, Mick Mulvaney, acting chief of staff. Um, an extraordinary move has to go out on the Fox News Sunday uh, and make this statement. Here he is with Chris Wallace, who's Chris Wallace making the point. Why don't you just give a speech and denounce white supremacy? Here it is. Why not deliver a speech condemning it? You've seen the president stand up for religious liberties, individual liberties. The president is not a white supremacist. I'm not sure how many times we have to say that. Yeah. The fact that you have to say it once is striking. Yeah, and another sort of Mulvaney moment on the Sunday shows was him being asked about whether the president was biased towards Muslims and him saying, well, don't judge the president by his words, judge him by his actions, which is uh, striking in and of because itself. Right. It, that is, and then we think of the Muslim ban. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, the, the administration would make the argument that um, when that actually emerged in its second version, uh, the one that, that is still in place, it was targeted not specifically or only towards Muslim countries, but instead sort of hotspots of, of danger or areas yeah, that didn't yeah. have proper record keeping. So that's that that's the sort of White right. House defense. But you you can't really have that or or look at that without saying, well, Donald Trump on the campaign trail said this was going to be a Muslim ban you know, based on a religious You test. remember, we went through this in the early days of the Trump administration where they kept denying, no, it's not a ban. And every time the president would turn around, he would it's, call it a ban. A ban yeah. <laughs> right. And the things he said about why we had to keep the Muslims from coming here or Syrian refugees from coming here, it was all about 
It was all anti-Muslim. It was not about certain countries and their processing not being you know, good enough. And this has actually created kind of an interesting uh, diplomatic headache for the president, and it ties into his, uh, his meeting today with Brazilian President Bolsonaro, which is uh, included in that list, and I think partially included to sort of buffer against the charge that this was a Muslim ban, was Venezuela. And as a result, the administration has been having sort of a, a raging internal debate over, you know, they are trying to ramp up the pressure on uh, Maduro, mm-hmm. Maduro in Venezuela. They're trying to really support the opposition as much as possible there. And one really viable way to do it, and one that has support among Venezuelan experts within the administration, is to allow Venezuelans who are already in the United States or potential refugees to come to the United States. But the problem is that that would undermine this existing ban yeah, and the you know the president slash Stephen Miller's sort of overall approach to immigration, which is to reduce it as much as possible and to particularly stem refugee flows. And, and so this has created a sort of policy problem for the president because as inevitably happens, a crisis has sort of erupted in a part of the world and the U.S. is faced with the the sort of open question of whether we want to be a place that welcomes in the the people who are we, we're trying to support here or, uh, as the president has advocated, say, I'm sorry, we can't help you here. You, you know, the, the risk to sort of native-born Americans is, is too great. And uh, as a result, our sort of foreign policy position naturally is going to suffer in a, in a pursuit of I guess, a stronger domestic policy. That's what the White House would argue. At Bloomberg News is where you can follow Justin Sink and all of his good colleagues there, Bloomberg dash, Bloomberg.com. Yep. Right? Bloomberg.com. Um, uh, the president also tweeted over the weekend um, uh, about Beto O'Rourke, uh, his comment being, God, he seems to use his hands a lot. Like, if there's anybody, <laughs> Beto does. Uh, if there's anybody who comes close to Beto, it's Donald Trump himself yeah. using his hands. Uh, I thought it was an interesting comment, but it's, he, he does seem to be paying a lot of attention to the 2020 Democrats. And to Beto O'Rourke specifically, I, I remember uh, I was I went down to El Paso with the with uh-huh. the president a couple, probably two months ago, Yeah, uh, when Beto held this sort of counter rally, and there was, White House officials were paying a lot of attention to really? what the crowd size was going to be at Beto's rally versus what the crowd size was going to be at the president's rally. Um, you know, they were uh, multiple White House officials asked reporters, "Oh, did you see? You know, uh, I think there were only a couple hundred people at Beto's rally." And, Which is you know, not true, of course, of right? Course. Yeah. Uh, but but I was I was really sort of surprised huh. in the time that that hey guys, we're in Texas. You know, you're pushing uh, this sort of wall fight that that is the president's top domestic priority. <laughs> Obviously, you're going to keep some sort of eye on um, uh, the counter. Protest the counter rally, but it was interesting to me the amount of hmm. time that they spent, and I think it's because uh, Beto has a lot of the same talents that Donald Trump has in terms of engaging voters and commanding the media, um, and uh, really having a sort of knack for attention getting. I th- I, it would not surprise me if President Trump was being candid to say that. He saw some of the same sort of talents that that helped propel him to the White House and Beto, but he, he, he's not the only one, right? We also heard saw him tweet over the weekend about Joe Biden, who right. 
we yeah. know the White House sees as a threat in the Calling sort of low IQ Joe, right? The sort of Rust Belt states that mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. essential to President Trump's victory, and uh, President Trump often sort of reveals what he's concerned about, either about himself or about uh, the future in his public comments. I think it's it's easy to sort of look at those. And so I, I do wonder the extent to which those candidates in particular, because they've gotten attention this week, but as the Democratic field develops, I think he will be a, an interesting barometer over what the concerns in the White House are about a potential Democratic candidate. Obviously, I don't think that's going to have a huge impact on who Democrats pick. I don't think they're yeah, yeah, they're going right. to try to give Donald Trump the opponent he wants or doesn't want. But I, I do think that that's um, it, it's an interesting thing. to But watch. they're certainly paying close attention to it. Yes, and I'm I'm sure weighing you know uh, the strengths of each particular candidate. Yeah, and and just just final point on Beto. I mean, the morning that he released his video. And made it official that he was running, and he goes, he shows up in Iowa at this coffee shop. And all three here on our monitors, yeah. all three cables were carrying him in a coffee shop live. Right? Yes. Nobody has had that kind of coverage since Donald Trump. Exactly, and it is a unquestioned mm-hmm. advantage that that Beto is going to bring to this race. Now we don't know what it's going to look like when Joe Biden. Assuming he jumps in, what kind of attention he's? I'd be willing to bet you if he goes to a coffee shop in Iowa, the cables are not going to. They'll carry it. They'll cover it. They will not carry it live. Exactly, and so I think that is a sort of unique advantage when you're sort of looking at how the Democratic field, which is diverse and interesting and has a lot of um, sort of different candidates who are bringing different things to the table. that is a unique talent of of Beto's and and something that that is why you know a two term or three term congressman who lost a Senate race is sort of in that upper tier of Democratic candidates mm-hmm. uh, in a way that multiple term senators or or governors just haven't yet broken through. So, uh, Justin, you cover the White House for uh, Bloomberg. Um, I go to the briefings. Um, when, when, when are those? I haven't heard about uh, anyone in the, in the last year. There's been one so yeah. far this year, I think. There was, there was one in January, none in February, one in March, which I did attend. There won't be another one in March. But, but uh, So I want to talk to you a little bit about inside baseball here. Uh, the White House over the weekend released some new rules hmm. for those of us who are members of the White House press corps and uh, regarding hard passes and soft passes. So we remember in, during the transition, Reince Priebus said, well, we might even get rid of the press corps, right? Yeah. We might even shut down the briefing room. We might even not have briefings anymore. There are all these, we might move them across the street or something. Well, that didn't happen. Sean Spicer tried a little bit to get the cameras out of the briefings, and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders did bring them back. And now, But now, over the last few months, the briefings have been reduced to almost one a month if we're at the most, right? So these new rules say that for, uh, and without getting too complicated, you can either get a day pass if you're a reporter to get in to cover just one kind of one meeting, or if you're a regular, you you get what's called a hard pass. You have a hard pass. I have a hard pass. Uh, Now the new rules are if you're not, 50% of your time is not spent at the White House, over the next 180 days are going to give a little grace period. You have to be there 90 days out of 180 days to keep your hard pass. And so if you just have a soft pass, you have to get it, to apply at, by 5 o'clock the day before right. to cover a briefing. 
The problem with that is they don't announce the briefings anymore until the morning of. So how do you know the day before there's going to be a briefing? What is your assessment of these? Uh, I'll tell you, I go to the briefing. I would go every day if they had a briefing every day. Right. But um, 90 days is no way. that. So what? what is your assessment of what they're trying to do here? So I, I think there's a there's a couple elements to this. One is obviously if you take it at face value, 90 days is sort of a ridiculous requirement. And the reason I say that is not just because briefings or public events have become so infrequent, but even for those of us uh, like Bloomberg that have permanent workspaces at the White yeah. House and who are there, Bloomberg has somebody there every single day of the right. week. But that doesn't mean you exactly are, are so there every day. Rather than making the work required, and again, this is really inside baseball, but rather yeah. than making a sort of reasonable requirement of a percentage of work days or a percentage of days that even the president is at the White House, they've made um, this broader sort of you've got to be there 90 out of 180 days, uh, which s- seems on its surface like it's maybe not that big of a deal. But really, it- when you take into account weekends, vacations, when the president's out of town, yeah. Uh, when there's no public events and the fact that we all share very tight workspaces. So uh, even among Bloomberg, there's six of us on our White House team. Right. There's only three desks that we have at the White House. So yeah. by, you just by simple math, you we couldn't can't all, all be, be there. there. Yeah. Right. Um, now, uh, I am interested to see how the White House actually implements this. Uh, they, uh, from my understanding, didn't work with the White House Correspondents Association to draft these rules, which is... Uh, frustrating on a lot of levels. My hope is that as the implementation begins, as conversations start, that you know, if this was a genuine security measure, if there was a genuine like thoughtfulness behind it, um, that they because Sarah sort of made clear that there would be exceptions and um, that that it would be. My hope is that this isn't implemented to the letter of the law, and that we can all just keep working and. If you look at it from just without yeah. all the nuances and and maybe the backstory, right, or the hope that that it's going to be um, reasonably implemented or something, you, one could conclude that having gotten rid of the briefings, now they're trying to get rid of the press corps, or half of them. Or there are a lot of people who do not have permanent workspace at the White House. I'm just one of yeah. them, but there are many like me who go for the briefings. Right. That's why the briefings are so jam full of people. Right. Uh, and uh, it looks like that any anybody in that category would be excluded from covering the briefings. Uh, yeah, I would just say that it is frustrating that um, it seems like the last year has been a, an exercise in restricting press access and uh, the availability of of uh, administration officials and and. Really, just White House messaging, White House availability to the press, rather than right now. The White enabling. House responds, as you know, and I've heard it personally, yeah. directly from um, press secretary and the deputy press secretary. Is well, look, President Trump is more accessible than anybody else. Every time he goes out to Marine One, he stops and talks to you guys, and so that's we give you that instead of briefings. Yeah, is that just as good? <clears throat> Well, it's different. I would say that, <laughs> that there are advantages and disadvantages to it. So an advantage, of course, is that if you can ask the president a question directly, you're going to hear from him. And while yeah. you might not get the straightest answer, you can get yeah. uh, an answer from the horse's mouth. Horse's mouth, right. 
absolutely valuable, something that we didn't have enough of under President Obama. Okay, but a couple other things. In those formats, you do not really have a question to ask or, or an, uh, an opportunity to ask a sophisticated question because you're shouting mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. eight mm-hmm. other people, and so you mm-hmm. basically get three words in and you just ask him to react to it. So you might yeah. you know, yell yeah. Beto O'Rourke at him or something and then <laughs> he just goes on a tangent. So you can't ask a, a hard or nuanced or sophisticated question. And by the way, so you got the whole scrum of reporters. Exactly. And if he doesn't really want to answer that, he'll just walk along just walk along and pick up another uh, uh, thing he wants to talk about. And then or the not. second part is, and this is not necessarily a criticism of, of Donald Trump, is I don't think that he necessarily has a sophisticated understanding of everything that his White House is doing. And the way that the press briefing has functioned for generations before this is the press secretary gathers issue-specific people in in her office in the morning and prepares a binder of information that goes through every possible question. So if uh, we at Bloomberg have a question about a specific thing that's happening in the markets or a central bank decision or Mm -hmm. whatever, somebody at the White House whose job it is to talk about those things has flagged this for Sarah and has explained their policy position in this sort of uh, setting. Similarly, if somebody else has a political question or somebody else has a policy question about the Department of Energy, whatever it might be, the briefing is a, a way for the White House to sort of arrive at positions and arrive at decisions. And in those days, you would often see a Robert Gibbs or a, you know, a Jay Carney, whatever, um, or Josh. They would have their briefing book, and if you ask a question about interest rates or right. something, it's not something that Josh would have been, Ernest would have been really right on top of. But then he would brief his, his briefing book, book yep. and he'd have the little uh, fly, binders there, right? And he would the look tabs, at them. Yeah. The little tab that says mm, interest rates, yeah. turn the page, and sometimes even just read from there. But they'd be prepared for that question. And they'd be prepared for that question, which means that at a time before he walked out, the White House would have had to make a decision on what their reaction to or policy stance yeah. on is. Yeah. And to me, that that is what the biggest loss of this briefing has been, is that it forces the White House to make decisions about things. It forces them to vet policy decisions and this White House just doesn't do that and and flies by the seat of its pants. Now, I understand that that is driven from the top and is uh, the style that President Trump prefers and would argue has succeeded for him and and has sort of gone forward, but it makes um, the process of reporting out policy positions and it makes understanding not only by us in the media and our readers, but those on Capitol Hill, uh, those in agencies and departments who are trying to understand what the White House wants to do and where the president is on issues, uh, it makes that an impossible task for them. Right. Um, so uh, and everything we've talked about at the White House is very, very important, but we have failed actually to give enough attention to the main event at the White House yesterday, uh, Justin. I'm sure this is one that Bloomberg News probably did covered wall to wall. Um, for days, and that is uh, the launching of the Be Best campaign uh, was yesterday. And if anybody wonders what the Be Best campaign is all about, um, we will leave it to the First Lady to explain. The three pillars of Be Best, well-being, online safety, 
and opioid abuse. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's an interesting time. Um, <laughs> well, be, what is it? Be best? No. No, well-being. The three pillars. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank of you, Peter. Be best. Well-being, well-being online safety, and opioid abuse. Oh, okay. Nothing about guns, by the way. But, I mean, sorry. like, it's such a noble effort to say, like, stop online bullying, right? Like, that's a real problem. And that's sort of what this started out as. Where does the opioid abuse come in? And, and like, I it just, this is such a poorly thought out plan. Even well-being. But anyhow, or even well-being, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting to see it kind of come together. And I think one sort of thing that the First Lady and her office have worked through is, so immediately after sort of announcing this campaign, Melania had an illness. She was in the hospital for, I think, mm-hmm. more than a week. Um, then she had some major turnover on her, you know, within her staff, and so I think this has been sort of a. It kind of got lost for a while, didn't it? It, it just it, it came together in sort of a scattershot way, but you know, uh, Michelle Obama had diverse sort of um, initiatives that she pushed. Right, she spent a lot of time on um, childhood obesity and, and trying to uh, have people eat healthier, but she also worked really hard for military families to sort of uh, help veterans who are coming back find I forget jobs. what her campaign was called about, keeping getting kids fit, you know. Remember, she used to do those exercises. She get the kids out on the lawn. They'd be doing yeah, exactly. What uh, was it? Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. Yeah. Let's move. That's right, yeah. And um, But I could see that. I understood that. Right. I don't understand this program at all. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, this is something that I think when Melania was asked what her sort of focuses would be, this is something that she highlighted. It, it may come from a sincere place, which is she's the mother of a young kid who's interacting with the Internet. And this is something that we know is um, uh, online bullying is is sort of a, a scourge that has been growing and growing. But uh, it does have that sort of fundamental tension, right, which is that. President Trump, in a, in a lot of ways, encourages <laughs> online bullying because he's, he's the president of the United States, and yeah. he regularly sort of targets people he's, for yeah. abuse on Twitter. And and as president, you sort of set a <clears throat> right national tone, and so that is something that she's sort of acknowledged before, but right. but is going to continue to sort of loom over this the, entire campaign. The campaign to get rid of online bullying starts at home, I guess, <laughs> is the message there. All right. Well, we got the president of Brazil coming down. You got a busy day, uh, uh, Justin. We'll let you uh, get back to work here. Thanks so much for starting off your day with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Me. Great to see you again. Uh, and you can follow Justin and his colleagues at Bloomberg, Bloomberg.com. From the Hill and the 1230 report, Kate Martell uh, stepping in next here. After a quick break, we'll be right back with this Tuesday edition of the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. You bet it is. Tuesday, March 19, uh, the Bill Press Show wrapping up here. A very busy, busy morning with a lot to talk about. As we join you online on the radio, WCPT out in Chicago, and on television on Free Speech TV, online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's the, uh, the most exciting source of news uh, all day long until 1230. When the 1230 report for The Hill comes out, and as you know, if you uh, subscribe, as all of us do, uh, the 1230 report, 
put out by Kate Martell, who joins us this morning. Hello, Kate. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for taking out t- taking time out for us this morning. <laughs> of course, this is a lot more fun. <laughs> you, yeah, you should probably should be at work putting out your uh, putting together your twelve thirty report. But we do enjoy it every day. Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Um, so um, we want to get you. We're going to force you now to take sides in, in a little a family squabble in Washington D.C. Uh, between the senior advisor to President Trump and her husband, George Conway. Or as Trump would like to call Mr. Kellyanne Conway. Mr. Kellyanne Conway. Just tweeted that. Uh, Thank you. Um, He tweeted out the other day that you can't pay... Well, let me read the tweet exactly. I just find this fascinating. Um, About Donald Trump, he tweeted, don't assume that the things he says and does are part of a rational plan or strategy because they seldom are. Consider them as a product of his pathologies and they make perfect sense. At which point he then followed up with, he tweeted out from some guidebook. Uh, Here it is. It's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. (laughs) And from that (laughs) manual, he tweeted out the definition of narcissistic personality disorder. It's somebody who has these following uh, uh, characteristics. A grandiose sense of self-importance, preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, believes that he or she is special and unique, requires excessive (laughs) admiration. He really goes after, of course, you know, he's talking about, right? This follows up his tweet about Donald Trump. Now, it wouldn't get that much attention if he were just some attorney in Washington, D.C., right? But he's the husband of Kelly Ann Conway. So reporters caught up with Kelly Ann Conway yesterday morning as she's arriving at the White House to say, what do you think about this, all this stuff your husband said? Here's her escape. You know, she had those concerns, and I was getting, I have four kids, and I was getting them out of the house this morning before I got here so, and talked to the president about substance. So I may not be up to speed on all of them. You know, I had to get the PB&J sandwiches ready for I'm their lunch. sure right? she was up to speed on that. But I guess that's an easy way out, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to answer what your husband's saying about your boss publicly. It's pretty embarrassing <laughs> when you work for a guy and your spouse is publicly calling him mentally unfit. Surprising that they haven't come to some agreement behind the scenes. Just wait until she's gone out of office. She's not that's, in the White House. That's yeah. the thing that stands out to me, right? right. Like There are plenty of people, especially in uh, Washington, D.C., that oh. deal with these kinds of marriages. All the time. Absolutely. Right? And James Carville and Mary Madeline, probably the most famous, uh, and they just figured it out. They worked it out, right? I'll tell you how they worked it out, and they're both good friends of mine, and they're great people. They worked it out. They made a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, had, they were very, very good, and they would go out, and but they had this banter, yeah. and they had this understanding, and their comments were critical, but they were not, like, fatal, right? They were right. not brutal. Right. This is that's brutal. brutal. Mutual respect, I think, is probably the difference here that we're talking about, that you just have to respect each other's careers and make whatever squabbles that you're having behind the scenes, not on Twitter, <laughs> which is kind of insane. But Yeah, right. 
Uh, so, and she can only duck behind the kids for so long, right? At some point, I think she's going to say, no. She's it's, asked about it again. She can't say she was still with the four kids uh, making breakfast. She could say, no, Donald Trump's not crazy. My husband is crazy. <laughs> Maybe he's the one that needs a, uh, yeah, Conway actually said that the president needed a mental, uh, uh, a, a serious inquiry into his mental capacity. Yeah. Well, and Trump just responded calling Conway a total loser, exclamation point. So there you go. Right. Another twist. Uh, um, the president had a, uh, but, but speaking of tweets, he's been tweeting this morning. Uh, he also had a very busy um, tweet weekend, Kate. <laughs> yes, I counted 30 on Sunday. And I think you just said 50 for the whole weekend. 50 for the weekend, right. Um, on a whole variety of topics. Yeah. I, what didn't he tweet about? <laughs> Um, obviously, the national emergency came up. Um, reopening the GM plan in Ohio came up. Um, I think the special counsel is sprinkled in there, as it always is. <laughs> Not to mention Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, Fox News, Janine Pirro, Tucker Carlson, these two weekend anchors who were just straight news anchors, I guess. I don't know, and were not giving him enough praise that he thought that they... He criticized them, saying it looks like they were trained at CNN because it's yes. so bad. Uh, and then, of course, famously, John McCain. Um, cannot let go of John McCain, um, which prompted the response from John McCain's daughter. And it's just so soon from how when he passed away, which kind of adds this whole level of it's, it's a below the belt comment. Like, at least he hasn't he passed away a few months ago. You Seven know? months. And we're already. He's already like let him let the family grieve before you go publicly attacking him again. And yeah, and also I mean, okay, yeah, Donald Trump's president and John McCain is dead. I mean, so let it go, right? Cannot cannot seem to do so. Mm -hmm. What was um, missing from the tweets over the weekend? Uh, Jeffrey Tubin from CNN points out um, something else that the in the rest of the world was paying attention to. Obviously, not Donald Trump. 50 people died in New Zealand exactly. in this horrible terrorist attack. But how does that compare to the tragedy that befell Janine Pirro, who had her show put off for one week, which caused an explosion? There were like four tweets just about Janine Pirro. But he didn't tweet against white supremacy, you, you will notice. Right, of He didn't course. say. No, Chris, no, nothing about New Zealand, nothing about white supremacy. It's all about this other petty stuff, basically. Absolutely. And then yesterday he followed up blaming the media for not giving him enough credit in the New Zealand attack for for not condemning it strongly enough and saying that it was just a story concocted, concocted by the fake media. Right. Uh, which leads to just a couple of minutes ago, um, 20 minutes ago, actually, uh, this tweet from Donald Trump, quote, the fake news media has never, all caps, been more dishonest or corrupt than it is right now. There has never been a time like this in American history. Very exciting, but also very sad. Fake news is the absolute enemy of the people and our country itself. Um, nothing he hasn't said before, but um, talk about, um, you know, a Johnny One note. All right. <laughs> it's a pretty evergreen tweet, too. That, that I mean, he's tweeted yeah. that. Over right. and over. And I guess I was, I've been, been naive about this. And I honestly thought that tensions between the press corps and the White House would have simmered after the campaign. And once he became president and realized 
you know, it's not always about the back, back and forth bickering. It's not always about it's just fight, fight that you thought. I thought that once he made it to the White House, things would calm down. And now I'm realizing how completely naive that was. And it's, this is just evidence that, if anything, it's only gotten worse. I was just going to say, it's not, it has not calmed down. No, uh, he has not abandoned that line of attack. It's escalated. It has. Or he has escalated it. I and say. it's escalated to Fox News, an outlet that he, you know, was always been pretty sympathetic towards, and now he's going after certain anchors. Peter, now. who are these anchors? Do you know these two guys? That Leland two? Vittert was one of them, and I forgot the other one that he called out. But I never just, heard of them before. They're just they're, like uh, straight-laced uh, midday news, news anchors. anchors. Huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that the Fox and Friends crowd, Brian Kilmeade and uh, Steve Ducey and all those, they sort of They'll go there. They'll tow the Republican Party line. Uh, they'll sort of manufacture and, and finesse stories to make Donald Trump look uh, better. But I, I would say that there are a couple of people that are Fox News. And, like, look, Fox News's actual news coverage is not Sean Hannity or Janine Pirro or Steve Ducey. It's folks like Chris Wallace and Brett Chris Bear. Chris Wallace, Absolutely. Brett Bear, Shep, Shep Smith. Smith. Leland yeah. Vittert is one of these. Neil Cavuto. Neil yeah. Cavuto. Uh, Leland Vittert is one of these people. And, and, and he called out somebody else. I'm blanking on yeah. who the other yeah. person was. Or one of these people that just like are there to report the news. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't always necessarily <laughs> do it completely straightforward. But like for the most part, it's hard to put them in the same category as some of the other flamethrowers on the network. So right. what I was going to say, too, that if you watch the midday coverage between Fox, CNN, and MSNBC, there isn't a huge big political spectrum. It's true. But yes, there's like little differences in the way that certain stories are covered. Um, but it's when you get to prime time. So then I guess Trump, when he tunes into the midday, he's expecting to hear what he usually watches because he's not usually watching midday. He's usually watching Fox yeah. and Friends and Hannity and Tucker Carlson. Right. Uh, but of course, uh, we don't have to worry about Fox News anymore because Fox has a new contributor <laughs> who started yesterday, none other than uh, Donna Brazil, former chair of the DNC. A surprise hire. That was a surprise hire. But I, I guess, I mean, everything is kind of lining up for 2020, and to have Democratic voice is important. And it's impressive that they locked down, you know, such a strong Democratic voice that can kind of cover the 2020. And It'll be interesting to see what, res what uh, reaction uh, that Donna gets from other Democrats, right, mm -hmm. uh, as to whether or not she's a, a, a traitor to her party by going on Fox News. Uh, for the record, I have to say, good for Donna. I mean, I she's a friend, and uh, if she can bring, uh, which she will, a strong, reasonable voice and a Democratic point of view to Fox News, um, nobody could do it better. I mean, Juan Williams does a good job there right now. So Donna, Donna Brazil will be, will, will, um, kind of reinforce, you know, what he's been able to do for years at Fox News. Uh, and the one reason uh, I'm not defending Fox here, all I'm defending Donna, I guess, and her choice, of, is that uh, there was a time when, um, in addition to doing CNN and MSNBC, I used to do a lot of Fox News, if they called on me, just as a guest, mm -hmm. not paid. Um, and people used to criticize me for going on, and I, I would make the point, look, I don't change my point of view. If I go on Fox News, I'm talking, I'll say the same thing I would say on CNN or MSNBC. But the fact is, there are a lot more eyeballs watching me on Fox News than there are on those other channels. So if I can reach more people with my point of view on Fox News, I'll do it. Absolutely. And from yeah. Donna's perspective, too, that it almost helps you flex 
your muscles a little bit on defending what the Democratic Party is doing, because being on talking to like minded people all, like all the time, you kind of, you know, I, I know it's a difference when I go on MSNBC versus Fox and you have to go in with your talking points to both and realize that you're going to get pushed back in a whole host of ways. And so it's interesting from the Democratic perspective that it, it might be fun and interesting for her to get to debate people all the time who don't agree with her and to try to figure out a way that they can kind of reconcile things and where they can find common ground. And the other thing that Donna brings, uh, my criticism of some of the people who will go unnamed that you see as political commentators on some of the cable channels is that they've never worked in a campaign. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. I mean, they, they've been given a political a job as a political commentator without really having any real world experience. That's not Donna Brazil. She's got tons of experience. Oh, yeah. You know, Al Gore's campaign manager in 2000. She's worked on ABC and CNN. She's worked, she was a member of the DNC, probably still is, but for a long time, and then took over as chair of the Democratic National Committee. So it's a big And get. she's worked in a lot of uh, national uh, and Senate campaigns. So she's she brings a lot to the table. She'll be good. She'll be good for us. She'll be good for Fox News. You know, this is one thing I've been carrying around that doesn't necessarily fill your, fill your portfolio, but I find fascinating, and I want to get it out there because I've been wanting to talk about it for the last couple of days. I forgot yesterday. There are some new numbers out about California, my state. <laughs> uh, and this, 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 I think, is setting a trend, shows a trend that's happening nationwide politically. So in terms of party registration in California, Democrats now have... 43.1% of registered voters in California. Republicans have 23.6%. It shows how... I, I remember yeah. a time when Republicans outnumbered Democrats in California. Um, or maybe it was like 50-50, right? 40, 43% to 23.6%. Wow. But here's what's most interesting. Decline to state independence are actually bigger than the Republican Party now in California, 28.3%. And the growth for the last 10 years uh, has been, Democrats have picked up some, Republicans have lost. The growth has been among independents, which I think is... It's um, fascinating. It is, yeah. That the more and more people find that declined state or that independent where they go, which, by the way, um, says a lot about this 2020 campaign and where people are going to have to be uh, focusing is, is yes on the base, but also on attracting those independent people. I'd be interested to see how much the number of independents grew after the 2016 campaign, too, that are some of these former Republicans that are, don't necessarily align with the Trump Republican Party, or is this um, more reflective of a trend of the Republican Party maybe going a little bit more further to the right, and it's just making some of people who are classically Republican uncomfortable. So they want to. I think the other thing that this this, this this shows is that in terms of voting reform, um, the, the 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 laws have to be changed in every state to recognize independence and to allow them to vote. At least, in my opinion, to allow them to vote in the primaries. And this was a big problem that Bernie Sanders faced in the 20, in 2016, where he appealed to a lot of independents, but particularly uh, New York comes to mind, 
uh, the, in New York State, they were not allowed to vote in a Democratic primary. So they all came out for Bernie. They're giving him money. They're coming out to his rallies. They can't vote for him uh, because of the rules of, of that state. Uh, and so state, state by state, I think that's got to be a priority. Um, you can't ignore it any longer when they are, are such a fast-growing block of the uh, of the of the electorate. Absolutely. And that gives me a shameless plug to New Hampshire, my state, too, that has an open primary. And the number of independents has really shot up, too, that you can vote in either primary that you're it's almost better to not be part of a party because you can vote in either one. Yeah, no. New Hampshire does have a, has a, a very open system. Your your shout out. <laughs> that's right. Your shout out uh, is 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 welcome there. Um, were you at the big Greek uh, Independence Day celebration yesterday at the White House? <laughs> I was not. <laughs> no, you didn't make it. Did not make it. <laughs> Donald Trump had some nice things to say about the Greeks. I'm not sure it was that nice actually, but this I, I will play you back to back. Donald Trump now. Here is his, these national celebrations, right? Right. So he, he, in each one, the Irish the day before and for the Greeks, he talks about the way he sees Greek Americans. Through your grit and your drive and your will to succeed, you are very, very competitive people. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. You don't ever quit. You don't ever give up. That's what we want. Yeah, that's what we want, right? <laughs> yeah, these Greeks. Now, you think they're tough? They're not as tough as the Irish, however. Here's the day before (laughs) with the Irish. I know many Irish people, and they are inspiring. They're sharp. They're smart. They're great. And they are brutal enemies, right? (laughs) So you have to keep them as your friend. Always keep them as your friend. You don't want to fight with the Irish. It's too tough. It's too bloody. Too bloody. Too bloody. bloody. (laughs) (laughs) All the way back to the Troubles, right? I mean, Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure. I wonder that, that was at the that was at the Irish American reception the day before, and uh, or maybe Friday night, and then uh, the the Greek thing was well, Greek Independence Day was yesterday um, at the White House. Uh, at any rate, I think he's obviously not scripted there, just riffing on what he thinks about these people. You can tell that's in he's in his natural element, and there's a different cadence about his voice, and that was in his most comfortable. Uh, we <laughs> saw a big vote in the, in the Congress last week. You've been, we were reporting on the big vote on the resolution. Absolutely. That it passed the Senate with 12 Republican votes. Uh, of course, the veto, but any chance of an uh, override? No chance of an override. I don't think that they, the Democrats have enough votes in either chamber for an override. But that being said, I think that we'll see future votes from Democrats to just try to chip away at it and even public perception, even if they don't have a chance of fully blocking it, they are suing and now it's going to be going through the courts. But I think Democrats, their plan is to just try to show that they're trying to chip away at it in any way possible. So is the Senate, does this Senate vote indicate a, um, a greater willingness on the part of Republicans to to part with Trump on some key issues and maybe bode not so well for him in the future? No, I wonder that, Bill, that he, it seems like we're hitting this shift where Republicans are a little bit more comfortable breaking with the president. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell basically said to Trump, this is not a battle that I'm choosing, that we are, I'm not going to try to whip the votes to block the resolution. Um, and that's why it passed. Um, I think that the bigger point here is that Republicans are nervous about presidential powers in the future. And 
Republicans are already showing some willingness to try to limit presidential powers in the future. Um, Senator Mike Lee, from, a Republican from Utah, put forward um, a bill where he wants that when a president announces mm-hmm. a national emergency, then Congress has 30 days to then prove it. And basically, they're worried about- In the future. He would have future. allowed this one, but said in the future, we're going to change the rules. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it, was a comp- <laughs> it was a compromise that actually Mike Pence had a lot to do with trying to shape. But Mike and Lee, already and- a, Yep. Already a third of Republicans have already backed that. So I think that that they're going to say, let's let this one go. But in the future, we don't think that this is necessarily a way to go. I think Republicans are also kind of looking and maybe nervous in the future that executive action could be carried out that way. So um, I think that they're kind of trying to do as much as they can. But I am seeing, to go back to your original question, that Republicans are showing that they are willing to go against the president a little bit more than I've seen earlier. But whether or not I don't think we're going to see an all out, you know, fight between the president and Senate Republicans, just maybe a little bit more tension and uncomfortability. Right. Uh, and, and, and finally, just to, to pinpoint here, we're just just about out of time. Uh, one the biggest idea, I think, of the day is one that uh, Elizabeth Warren um, hit on yesterday, which is getting rid of the Electoral College. This is something we're going to be hearing a lot more about. Absolutely. More Democratic candidates are jumping on board. I think it's a I think it's great. It's about time. Uh, and with that, Kate Martell, thanks so much. We'll watch. We'll look for you at 1230, the 1230 report. Go to thehill.com and sign up for it. Thanks for coming in, Kate. Thank you, Bill. Have a great day, folks. We'll look for you tomorrow. Come on back. This is the Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.